when I was back in uh, my early 20s and I guess late teenage years as well, I used to help uh, teach kids how to sail in the Lake District at a uh, summer camp. And when you're sailing, when you're usually in a, a marina or a harbour, it's pretty calm waters there. But then the moment you, you get out, you get past those walls, whoosh, the wind comes, doesn't it? That once calm water is now wavy and you have to buckle in because you're going to be in for a ride. And our lives can sometimes feel like that as well, can't they? On Sunday, we're, we're gathered together. It's fine. Everything's going well. But then we, we wake up Monday morning and the kitchen floor is flooded because the washing machine leaked overnight. You get a message. You find out your, your benefits have been suspended and you don't know why. You get an email and your job isn't perhaps as secure as you thought it was. No longer does it feel like you're in calm waters. Life feels like we're in choppy waters. And often the same with our faith as well, isn't it? Sundays, rock solid, sure, certain. But other days that once calm faith is shaken. And to be honest, we're not sure if we'll make it through the day. See, as Paul left the church in Thessaloniki, it was as if they were now drifting past a harbour wall if they were in a boat. And they're experiencing all sorts of storms now. Some perhaps asking, does Paul even care about us? We haven't seen him since he, since he left us. And Paul's heard they're in stormy waters in the section just before this, the Jews are persecuting them for following Jesus. They're wanting to stop people from hearing the gospel. But look how Paul responds to this. We've got four Ps for us today. And notice first in verses 17 to 20, we see Paul's pastoral concern. Do you know the saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder? How much have we felt that over the last 18 months? Paul describes here in verse 17 when he was ripped away from the church. Look what he says, but since we were torn away from you. Think of uh, the kinder transport in World War II. Jewish children put on transport to get them safe from Nazi Germany to Britain, separated from their family, ripped apart from them. Paul said that's what he felt. Torn apart. It's the idea of being orphaned. That's how raw his emotion is for this church. That's how much he wants to be with them. But thankfully, the separation, it's only, it's only short. He's separated only in person. Although he's separated physically, he's absent in body, he's not separated in thought or literally separated in heart. He may not be able to see them. He's always thinking about them. And through their union together with Christ, they know that although they're separated, they truly are together. His love's reinforced, though, it goes on, doesn't he? But Paul talks about his, his attempts to see them in verse 18. I mean, just think of someone who you haven't seen in ages. It's, it's quite easy to do that just now, perhaps, I think. You plan a reunion and you are just buzzing to see them. It has been so long since you saw that person. And you get up in the morning, you go to the train station and, well, the trains are cancelled. You, you try to, to rearrange it. You try to organise uh, to, to meet with them again. And then what happens? Somebody gets ill. You think, third time, lucky, this is it. We're going to go do this. That text comes in. We've got to self-isolate. How do you feel? 
absolutely heart aches, doesn't it? You just want to see this person. You should want to see them, look them in the eyes, give them a great big hug. But you can't. And your heart hurts. That's what Paul feels about these Christians in Thessaloniki. Paul has tried everything to see them, everything. But Satan, under God's control, has prevented him from doing so. And Paul wants this church to know just how much he's tried to see them. Not to brag about it, but to show just how much he loves them. See, these people in this church, they weren't a project for Paul. There was family. And he cares deeply for them and his heart ached not being with them. But I wonder if you noticed the surprise in the next verse, in verse 19. Have, have a look down at verse 19 in your Bibles. It's striking what it says here, isn't it? Paul goes on to say that these Thessalonians, they are his hope, his joy and crown in which he will glory. Now, isn't that surprising? At least I think it's surprising. Surely his future glory is in Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he and Silas and Timothy as well, Say that their hope, joy, and crown in which they will glory in the presence of the Lord are the Thessalonians. Now, what does Paul mean by this? He's not saying that he's saved by making converts. But instead, on that day when he stands before Jesus, he'll be absolutely delighted that the Thessalonians are there with him. They'll be finding true that they had a genuine conversion, that his ministry was genuine, and he will be delighted that they will be there and say, look, Lord, look at these, these people who trusted in you. And this future event of, of Jesus' return, of being with him, runs all the way through this letter, and it shapes all of Paul's present labours. And his concern for them, it's great, isn't it? He loves them, he really loves them, he really wants to see them, he's great concern for them. But he has to act. We saw Paul's pastoral concern. Now we see in verses 1 to 5, his pastoral action. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Look at verse 5 as well. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer. See, Paul couldn't cope not knowing how they were doing. Perhaps you had an experience similar to this. Perhaps you've had someone to visit or perhaps you visited someone, perhaps uh, your parents and they say, let me know when you get home safe. And you go, yep, no problem. In your head, I'll text you when I get home. You travel home and the hours pass by. One, two, three, nothing. No response. Five, no response. What happens? Well, you're thinking, what's what's happened to them? Has something happened in the car on the way home? Perhaps it's you traveling home and your poor mum's uh, at a wit's end thinking, what's happened to my child? And then what happens? You pick up the phone, don't you? So you can't bear not knowing what's happened. Have they got home safe? This is what Paul does, doesn't he? He needs to know how they are. And he tells us why in verse 3. Have a look at it. He doesn't want them to be un settled he doesn't want them to be moved unsettled by these afflictions think again of that image of a boat in open water how was everyone on board 
Have they been afflicted by the storm? Verse 5, Paul's aware that some have been tempted away. Have they perhaps shipwrecked their faith? So what does Paul do? What does his pastoral action look like? Well, he sends Timothy. Let's spend a moment just thinking about what this meant for Paul to send Timothy. Here's the backstory to what's been going on. Paul, he was in Thessaloniki. He was teaching them the gospel. And a mob uh, rose up and chased him out of town, down to Berea. When he was teaching down in Berea, the mob from Thessaloniki found out he was there. So they came down the roads and went after him again there. So Paul then went on to Athens all on his own. His friends, Timothy and Silas, didn't come until late. Athens was totally new to Paul. New city, new culture, a whole new change. He would have felt very lonely, wouldn't he? But despite that, he was willing to give up Timothy. Timothy's some boy. You read about him. You read about him in Philippians chapter 2, what Paul says about him there. For Paul struggling in Athens to send Timothy, it was a big deal, but showed his bigger love for the church. Just look in uh, chapter 3 here about how Paul describes Timothy. We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Now, why was Timothy so good at helping his church stay settled? Why was he so good at helping them not be moved by these afflictions? Well, just think about how he's described here. Paul says, first off, he's, he's a brother. He's a Christian, essentially essential for ministry, isn't it? We also see that he's a co-worker in God's service. See, Timothy knew it's ultimately God that he serves. And he's a co-worker just like Paul. He's not uh, a lesser worker, I guess, sent to church. He's somebody who Paul sees is just on his level here as well. And he serves people in the gospel of Christ. That is teaching them about Jesus. See, this is pastoral care in action, isn't it? Recognizing that it's God you are serving and serving him by teaching fellow Christians about Jesus so that they won't be unsettled. See, through Timothy's teaching about Jesus, people would be established, that is strengthened. Think of a new tree growing and a stake attached to the side of it to help it grow tall and strong. Timothy's teaching would be like that stake, strengthening it, establishing it, giving it strength in bad weather. Timothy would also exhort them in the faith, that is, encourage them, come alongside them. Support them. If we're honest, we all need this, don't we? The same message I'm bringing today has been the same message that's been strengthening me throughout the week. There's no Christian who's so strong that they don't need the Bible taught to them so that they won't be unsettled when trials come. So that they won't be uh, unsettled when temptations lure. There's no Christian who's so strong that they won't someone to come alongside and encourage them in the gospel. Because we all need strength when we face trials. We all need strength when we face temptations. Temptations, if we're honest, sometimes we can see them coming, can't we? And we simply put ourselves in the way of them. But trials, I think they often come from unexpected places, unexpected times. 
as if we especially need to remember the gospel when these come. Just think of when perhaps your friend betrays you because you follow Jesus. You start getting heat from your employer because you're Christian. You start getting a cold shoulder from parents at the school because you go to that church. Paul says to them in verse 4 that we warned you these trials were coming because you followed Jesus. They're currently enduring them because they were sharing the gospel. Even more stark, Paul says that, that, that we were destined for them. We have an appointment with unsettling trials. They're, they're marked down in our divine diary that as, as you live for Jesus, speak for Jesus, they will come, Paul says this church. So be ready for them. And to help you to be ready, I sent you Timothy to teach you the Bible so that you won't be unsettled. Look how Paul goes on in verse 6. We see our third P. We've had pastoral concern, pastoral action. Now we see personal encouragement. Paul sent Timothy and his report comes in verse 6. Let me read that for us. But now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. And then comes Paul's response. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. I look back at verse two of chapter three here, the word for exhort there, the word for comforted here in verse seven. It's the same word, it's this idea of of encouragement. Timothy was sent to encourage the Thessalonian church in verse two. And as his report comes back, Paul and his team are likewise encouraged. And we see the relationship between the two, that people are encouraged in their walk with God through the teaching of God's word. And those who teach it are then encouraged as God's word does God's work in their lives. Just imagine practically what that looks like. Timothy sent to encourage the church in Thessaloniki, preaching on Sunday, training people to teach the Bible to others, leading house groups, writing Bible studies, and the people are encouraged. And as Paul and Silas hear about this as well, Timothy brings the support. They are likewise encouraged by the response to God's word. Now, I think this, I, was, I was reflecting on this. You know, I'm, I'm only in my early 30s, still modeling many years ahead. But in my few years, one of the greatest encouragements I've seen is people who have taught the Bible to years ago, apart from Sunday school, still walking with the Lord today. I think that's the same for all of us, isn't it? Perhaps it's children, grandchildren, people we've invited along to Christianity Explored or something like that. We are encouraged, aren't we, when we see them still walking with the Lord, when we see that gospel seed that was planted bearing fruit in their lives. And look at Paul's response in verse 8 when he hears support, dying to hear back from them. For now we live. What does Paul mean by this year? A couple of months ago, our, um, our eldest daughter, Tabitha, needed to go for uh, surgery. Have you ever had someone go for surgery? If you have, I'm sure you can relate to this. They go into surgery, they're, they're under general anaesthetic. And well, the minutes feel like hours, don't they? The hours feel like days. You can barely concentrate on what you have to do. For all intents and purposes, you go out thinking, 
We've got this work to do, but you can barely concentrate. But when word comes out that the surgery went well, that they're doing okay, what joy you feel. Life felt like it was on hold before, but now you think, now we live. You can't wait to see them, can you? It's like Paul. He was desperate to hear from Timothy. He was desperate to hear this report. But when it came, now we live. Look what else he says as he goes on from verse 8. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. I want us to, to notice here the focus though of Timothy's report. Notice the good news of faith and love he brings. Now, why, why faith and love? Why are these things so encouraging for Paul to hear? Let's think about what he means by faith to start off with. You might sometimes hear people say, well, well, if it wasn't for my faith, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have coped in, in this situation as if, as if faith is like some sort of internal tank they have, which they can draw strength from when they need it. I, I've had friends say to me, oh, I wish I had faith like you as if faith was, um, something on, on, a, on a mantelpiece, which I could show them. This isn't what Paul means by faith. Think of perhaps like this. Think of a car that needs fixed. My car might be fixed and I ask you which mechanic to use. I haven't now lived in Charleston and Dundee for a few years. I've learned which ones not to use despite being recommended them by friends. If I ask you which mechanic would you use, are you telling me about your mechanic? They're amazing. They seem to do the the almost impossible. And the more you tell me about them, the more I want to go and meet them and fix my car. I'd be daft to say, wouldn't it? I wish I had faith like you in your mechanic. Because I don't need your faith. I need your mechanic. See, faith in the Bible isn't, sorry, faith in the Bible is rooted in knowledge, a leap into the unknown. And faith in the Bible, it's not a thing. It's not an internal tank. It's not an ornament. It's a trust in the person of Jesus because of who he is. And so the more I hear about him, the more I trust him. And Paul recognizes that there's more of these Christians know about Jesus. That's the same with you and I, isn't it? That's why I know some verse 10, Paul says he wants to supply what is lacking in their faith. He wants to go and teach them about Jesus. To be strengthened and encouraged in the faith means we talk more about Jesus and his gospel. There's always more than, isn't there? She's infinitely wonderful, infinitely beautiful. We'll never tire of knowing more about him. What about love? Does Paul not want to go into to fill up what is lacking in their love? In one sense, he does, but he knows that he can't do that. You and I can't make anyone love Jesus. We can fill up what's lacking their faith and teach them about Jesus. We can't make them love Jesus more. So for that, Paul prays. 
We've seen his uh, pastoral concern, his pastoral action, personal encouragement, and finally prayer for love and holiness. Despite trying to go and being unable, Paul undeterred still prays to see the Thessalonians again. A letter isn't enough. It's good to be together, isn't it? It's good to spend time with one another. We always want to make Sundays a priority for us in our lives. And notice how Paul goes on to, to pray that their love for one another will grow and overflow. Now, notice here it was, it was faith in God, a, I guess a vertical component. Now it's love for one another, horizontal. Paul knows that he can't work on their love for another, but God can. And sometimes people at church, if we're honest, I've, I've not been to London City Presbyterian Church for, but I've got a hunch. Sometimes people in church can disappoint us. Sometimes, if we're honest, they can do our head in a bit. Sometimes they can hurt us. So what do we do when that happens? Pray. Pray for them and for yourself that love may abound. We don't grow. We pray. I say that first and foremost to myself. I need to remind myself that often, don't grumble. Pray. Notice also Paul's great concern for them at the end of his prayer. That they may be strengthened in their hearts, their inner being, and ready for Christ's return. See again how it's the the return of Christ that influences how they're to live today. It's return of Christ to be, be ready for, to be strengthened for. Pray for strength, pray for readiness for Christ's return. See, Paul, he's a, Paul's a man, isn't he, who loves this church. Like Arel doesn't sure love you. But he was unable to care for them as he wanted to. Again, I'm sure at times like, like your elders feel as well about you. They want to do more. Paul wanted to see them, but can't. And at this point in time, may not see them. But notice the certainty, though, about Jesus. He is certain of Jesus' return with them. Jesus' concern for you is so great that he has acted and he will act for you. No evil can thwart his plans like it did for Paul. He will return. He will be with his people forever. And we will glory together in his presence. Isn't that wonderful certainty? May we be ready for that. Ready for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our great God and Father, we thank you for the example here of the Apostle Paul, his love for this church. May his example here be something we ourselves want to follow as he followed Christ. May this genuine love he has for his church be the love that we have for one another. May we recognize that to be unsettled, to be established, we don't need the latest gimmicks. We need need you, we need your word. If we're involved in any form of teaching, may you help us be faithful teachers in that. 
may help us to be good listeners, to hear what you're saying to us by your spirit, through your word. May you help us to remember this is something you want to do together. You've given us your local church. And so we thank you for for that. We thank you that despite how much we would love to do for one another, and we are so aware of how often we fail, thank you that the Lord Jesus is the great shepherd. He is the great pastor who whose plans are never thwarted. He will return. He will be with his people. And he does care for us now. For those of us perhaps going through trials, going through temptations, may you bring people alongside to strengthen them uh, with your word, to encourage them to keep going, keep trusting in you, keep living for you and speaking for you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given us all that we need for your church and for life and godliness. And for your glory, we pray these things. Amen.